Matthew 6, we discover a model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples when they asked him to teach them to pray. Verse 13 provides some ideas for how we might approach the end of our prayers. How might we conclude our conversation with God? Listen to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares another inspiring message on prayer. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Man, aren't you thankful for that praise team? Amen. That was a great time of worship. And I'll tell you, those in the back on the in the sound booth and who are putting slides together and, uh, you know, making it sound good. Listen, uh, these people are working hard. They're practicing together. Uh, they're taking time out of their busy schedules to be with one another and help us have the uh, atmosphere that we have for worship on Sunday mornings. And I am grateful, and we don't say thank you enough, but I just wanted to, to say thank you for all of that uh, work that you guys and gals are doing to make that happen. So today we're going to look at the latter part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we have been studying prayer since January 1st. We had a corporate prayer meeting together on that Sunday and then launched into looking at uh, what's called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. Uh, the title of our series has been the Master Plan for Prayer uh, because we understand that there's not a better plan. <laughs> there's not a better plan that's been given to us when thinking about how to approach God in prayer. And so today we come to actually the uh, the conclusion of um, our time in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to share a few more sermons on prayer even after this. Uh, Mike is going to preach a sermon on prayer and fasting. I'm going to preach a sermon on hindrances to prayer. Uh, and so those will be the next two in our series. But the reality is prayer is something that is um, probably the least effectively practiced in our churches. And it was worth us taking the first part of the year to focus on and help us kind of draw near to God uh, in that part of our relationship with Him. And uh, we still have a lot of work to do in that area. A lot of things, to, a lot of goals to set and accomplish when it comes to us being a house of prayer. A place where people in the community call and say, hey, I'm not a believer I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know very many people in your church, but I know somebody who was prayed for by you. And their lives were changed. That excites me. I don't know about you. Because we can get there. We can be that church. We can be that kind of church. That's the kind of church Jesus said He wanted. When He said, My house shall be a house of prayer. Today's installment, if you will, today's message uh, comes from the last few phrases of Matthew chapter 6 uh, in verse 13. And today's message is entitled, Ending Your Prayer with Exclamation. Ending Your Prayer with Exclamation. So we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, and here's what we've learned. We've learned to seek our Heavenly Father. We've learned to praise Him for being holy pray about His purpose and plan for our lives, ask Him to provide for our needs, receive forgiveness from Him and given forgiveness to others, as well as sought Him for power for living and protection from the evil one. 
That's where we've been the last few weeks. So how do we conclude this prayer? How, how do we conclude our prayers? We are to conclude our prayers, I believe, and, and we can see it here in this text, with exclamation by acknowledging the King who has all power and receives all the glory. Now, when I say exclamation, I don't necessarily mean shout. That may be the first thing that comes to mind. But the definition of exclamation is this, a sharp or sudden cry of strong feeling. Think about that as you come to the end of your prayer time. A, a, a sharp or sudden, sudden cry of strong feeling. It might sound something like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may recall that the Lord's Prayer is given to us in two different books of the Bible, in Luke and in Matthew. Matthew's is recorded in the midst of the um, Sermon on the Mount. Luke's record is where the disciples are gathered with him and they what? They ask him to teach them to pray. And uh, when, when Jesus begins to teach them to pray, he says, he says something like this. He says, in this way pray, or in this manner pray. When you pray, say these things, basically. And then we come to the place today where he connects the closing remarks with all that he just told them to pray, with a three-letter word. That word is for. For, in our Bibles, can oftentimes be translated because of. And so, by using this word, Jesus is, is actually teaching that everything I've just told you to talk to God about is reasonable. It's reasonable. It can be expected. It can be counted on. Why? Because His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's like, it's like uh, we, could, we could say it like this. Uh, pray all of these things that you're told to pray in the Lord's Prayer because He's the King who has all the power and receives all the glory. It's reasonable. There's a reason why we come to God with these things and in this way. So I want us to examine these few phrases here together. We think about coming to the end of our praying. We're, we've said what we want to say to God. We've heard what we want to hear from Him. We've had our time with God in prayer. And we want to end our prayer with exclamation. And so we learn what that looks like here in these last few phrases of Matthew, uh, of, of the Lord's Prayer. The first thing I want you to notice is the context for prayer. The context for prayer. That's what the first phrase gives us. Yours is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the context in which we pray. The kingdom of God is the context in which we receive answers to prayer. It is the context in which we as believers function and live. It is the context in which God Himself reigns. 
You know, there's a big distinction to be made between the kingdom, kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom over which He Himself reigns. It is a perfect kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom. It is a kingdom to which no others compare. It is a kingdom that our mortal minds can scarcely comprehend, and yet it is a kingdom we belong to. That's good. It is a kingdom that we have become a part of. And, and hear this, I, I'll probably say this more than once. It is a kingdom, it, it is the context in which we pray and in which we receive answers to prayer. There are uh, several Scripture verses in the New Testament that indicate that those of us who've been born again by the Spirit of God, those of us who've been saved by Jesus Christ, who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, have become citizens of the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 is one of those references. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. When we pray, our context is the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? What are we talking about when we say that? Well, uh, just a, an example of that from uh, what I'm busy doing a lot of times, and that's helping to uh, work with church planters. And one of the things that we do with church planters is we encourage them and help them know how to examine their context, to pray about and understand where it is God is calling them to plant. And so we, we ask them to do uh, cultural exegesis. Uh, we, we ask them to uh, do contextual analysis of their place. We want them to know who lives there. What kind of people are they? What, what do they do for a living? What are their ages? Uh, what's the big deal about that town? What are they all about? And so they start asking all of these questions about the place where God is calling them so that they can learn how to live there, how to function in that place most successfully, how to, how to uh, that kind of analysis gives them direction. It helps them set goals. It gives them boundaries. Now, with the kingdom of God as our context, we are citizens of the kingdom. We can have a kingdom mindset. We can live by a kingdom agenda. We can function as ambassadors of that kingdom in a world that we do not belong to. That's exciting. It's exciting because I don't have to live without hope and joy and peace in a world that's not my home. I'm already a citizen of the kingdom. And that affects my prayers. And that affects your praying as well. We are citizens of the only kingdom, here we go, that has unlimited resources with which to answer our prayers and meet all of our needs. 
This is why we can come to the end of our prayer and we can exclaim, <laughs> yours is the kingdom. I'm praying all these things because I'm talking to the king who reigns over the kingdom, who has all the resources and all the power to be able to intervene into my life, fulfill needs and answer prayers. This is so very important. And one of the reasons it is, is because even, uh, I've, I've watched where when even believers will pray sincerely to the Lord. And, and the moment they finish praying, they turn to the kingdoms of this world for all the answers to all the things they just talked to God about. The Bible says, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus himself was tempted to turn to the world. You may remember when the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. There's a passage that you might be familiar with in uh, Matthew chapter 4. We see this temptation taking place. Matthew chapter 4 and in verse, uh, let's just start with verse 7, kind of the middle of this temptation. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And of course, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Even Jesus Himself was tempted to turn to the kingdoms of this world. Are we not all tempted to turn to the kingdom of this world, the kingdoms of this world, for the answers to our problems? Now, while God has the ability and often does use things in the world to help His children. It's not the source. Right? We are citizens of a different kingdom. And so when we end our prayer with exclamation, yours is the kingdom, we are looking to what the king has for us instead of what the world has for us. Secondly, I want you to see the capability of prayer. That was the, con the kingdom of God is a context of prayer. Now, the capability of prayer. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. Not only is it His kingdom that we are seeking, it is His power. And we know from studying our Bibles, most of us in here do, we understand that the power of God is unlimited. When we pray in this manner, we are not praying to a king who has limited resources, but we are asking the one who has all power, we could say unlimited power, we could say unstoppable power. When we pray in this manner, we pray in a context where resources are abundantly more than we can ask or think or hope for, and where the power is unstoppable 
Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Man, I'm getting excited about what I just prayed because you, Lord, yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. The theological term for that is omnipotent, right? All powerful. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher, once said that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. He was, he was referring in that context to being born again, to being saved. Maybe you recall the story in the book of Genesis of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah uh, are um, getting older, but God has promised Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation, that his descendants are going to be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he visits them again in their older age. And this is after they've taken things in their own hands, right? So uh, they had not had a child yet. You may remember the story. So uh, Sarah gives Abraham her... Uh, Abraham... What? You messed me up. <laughs> Sarah gives Abraham her handmaid. And uh, it's Hagar. And they have a child named Ishmael. But this is not going to be the son of promise. And so uh, the Lord comes back and visits them under the trees. You may remember the story. And begins to talk about the promise he made. Sarah's in the back. She laughs to herself. Can God really do this, right? I mean, I'm, I'm past childbearing age. And uh, God says, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great question. It's an awesome question. Of course, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And Sarah does end up having a child, the child of promise, Isaac. You know, when I think about that, I think about the things that we face in life. Somehow we've got this Weird theological idea that God will never give us anything more than we can handle. Heard that before? That's a lie from the devil. That passage does not say that. Go back and look at it later. I'll paraphrase it for you. No temptation will overcome man that he himself will not, will not empower you to be able to overcome. It doesn't say he's not, that, that you're not going to face anything that you can't handle. Let me just tell you something. If you've lived long enough, you know. There's a lot that's too hard for us. There's a lot that's too big for us. There's a lot that we can't handle on our own. But then I hear the question that echoes down through the ages. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. How wonderful it is to be a part of a kingdom where the resources are unlimited and the power is unstoppable. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's the second time 
We've heard that question. The Holy Spirit of God speaking to us from the Scriptures is asking repeatedly, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you I do, but, but some of it I might not know. Wouldn't it be something if you heard the Holy Spirit today in the midst of that circumstance say, is anything too hard for me? Why is God repeating this when the answer seems to be so obvious? Well, obvious, I mean, it's, it's true He wants us to know it, but He doesn't just want us to know it mentally. He wants us to know it in our hearts, and He wants us to know it experientially. He wants us to trust Him because nothing is too hard for Him. When we pray, yours is the power, we are seeking the presence and power of God to be active in our lives. And we'll see in just a moment, not just for our sake only, but for His sake and for His glory. Every other king, every other magistrate, every other president, every other world leader is absolutely limited in power. They are limited in power, in ability, in time, and in resources. The ruler of our kingdom. This is not figurative. This is literal. The ruler of our kingdom is not limited in any of those ways. So why don't we pray like that? And then get to the end of that prayer and say, Yours is the power. Yours is the power. The power of the kingdom of God unleashed is evident, was evident in the days of Jesus when sick people were healed, when dead people were raised, when demons were cast out, the blind could see, the deaf could uh, hear, the mute could speak, the rotting flesh of the leper was restored. In the Old Testament, God spoke and the world came into existence. He breathed life into the the body of the first human being. He crafted a woman out of the rib of that man. He makes the sun to rise and to set. He hung the moon and the stars in the sky. This is the God to whom we have access. This is the God to whom we pray. This is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. This is who our King is. And so when we pray, yours is the power, it refers to the capability, really, of prayer, but of the God of prayer. I read a story some time ago about a mother who was upstairs tucking her little girl in. It was kind of stormy outside. And uh, they were turning the lights off and getting ready for bed. The little girl was a little bit frightened about what was going on. And so it kind of gave the, the mom a little bit of a scare too. But the little girl looked out the window and she caught a glimpse of the moon. And she asked her mom, she said, Mama, is that God's light? And she said, yeah, that's God's light. And the little girl said, will God ever put out His light? And go to sleep. 
And of course, the mama said, no, God never goes to sleep. And so the little girl replied, we all need to hear this. If God is awake, then there's no sense in both of us staying up. That's good, isn't it? Just go to sleep. Because His is the power. His is the power. The last thing I want you to see is what we might call the consequence of prayer. Yours is the, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The consequence of prayer is the glory of God. Glorifying of God, if you will. So here's where we learn that it's really not about us, and it is all about Him. Some define giving Him glory as making Him famous on earth, or making Him renowned among all people, or giving Him credit, or praise, and all of those work. They're, they're not bad definitions, but another idea has to do with the manifestation of God's presence on the earth. In this way, we are thinking about God making Himself known in answering our prayers. So when we pray, when God moves in response to prayer, He's going to be making Himself known, His presence and His power in our lives and in the lives of others. And for this, He gets the glory. This is when we would look at our prayers and, and when we realize that God answered them and we would say something like this. Only God could have done that. Only God could have orchestrated that. Only God could have put those things together. Only God could have healed. Only God could have saved that person. Right? Some of, some of us know people who were like, if I did not believe in God, I wouldn't think that person could be saved. But only God. And when that begins to happen, He receives the glory. And we should do that over little answers and big answers, right? Because we're kingdom citizens. We're praying in the context of the kingdom. We're talking to the king, and he's using his resources and his power, and he's receiving the glory as a result. Uh, that another way of, you may have heard it said, and maybe you've said it too, that's a God thing, right? You may have said that, and I like the phrase. I don't mind using it, but I do think we have to be careful with it. There are some things God doesn't need the credit for or the blame for, like my sins. And, but I do like the phrase. We just need to be careful with how we use it. This is when we acknowledge that God is working among us. We praise Him for that. You see the, the presence and the power of God manifested in your life and the life, uh, lives of others is a result of praying that brings glory to God. Something for us to remember in this vein is that God shares His glory with no one. There's a, an example of this in Acts chapter 12. I'll just read this to you from verse 21 to 24. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. 
And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, and because he did not, uh, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, this is one of those descriptive passages, not prescriptive. So we're not saying that you're going to get eaten by worms. We are telling you that God shares His glory with no one, and He demonstrated it in the life of Herod. Because you see, the glory went where it was supposed to go, even though He was getting all the praise and the accolades. The next verse tells us that the Word of God spread and the church grew. God was glorified in what took place on that day. While God shares His glory with no one, there seems to be times in our lives when we might carelessly take credit for what God has done. Sometimes we like the credit, don't we? Am I the only sinner in here that likes the credit? Sometimes we like to get the credit for different things. We like to be praised, and sometimes that's not all wrong if it's done in the right way. But never should we try and take credit for something God has done or is doing in our lives. For one example I think of is uh, the, the, the fact that God allowed us to be a part of starting a church some years ago in Red Lodge, Montana. Now when I'm at meetings like I was at this week, and I'm introduced to people, they'll say, you know, this is Lee Merck, he works with church planting, he started a church in Red Lodge, Montana. I did not start a church. God started a church. I didn't replant a church in Four Corners. God replanted a church in Four Corners. I'm thankful that I got to be a part of it. Now, I know you may say, well, that's semantics, and they didn't really mean, you know, that you were the cause of it. And I get all that, but, but I also think it's important for us at times to be very careful and make sure that God is glorified, especially in those things that we see Him doing all around us. God works in our lives and through our lives, but it is God who is doing the work. And it's God who gets the glory. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. When I pray that sometimes, I'll just add a little phrase to it. I'll say, yours is the kingdom. Sometimes I'm that loud when I'm praying, but not always. Yours is the kingdom, not mine. Yours is the power, not mine. Yours is the glory, not mine. I'm so sinful, I need a reminder. But I also want to put myself in that place in God's presence. 
But it doesn't stop there. It says, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory sometimes. It says forever. That word means eternal. The prayer says forever about these things. His kingdom, His power, and His glory. That's good news for me and you. Because that's eternal life. It's always your kingdom, it's always your power, and it's always your glory, and it never changes. The context of prayer, the capability of prayer, and the consequence of prayer never changes. And then the amen seals the deal. Right? Amen. So let it be. And that is how we end our prayer with exclamation. Thank you for listening to the Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.